I'm excited this morning. Got a word from the Lord and I uh, want to share it with you. Got a couple things to be excited about. I've not done as much praying in the past. What? I've done a lot of praying lately. And uh, I hesitate to do what I'm about to do because I know there's some of you in the room, at least it's one special couple that's on my heart. That, uh, but anyway, I want to share too because we ain't going to be able to hide it for much longer uh, that Heather and I are expecting another baby. And if you'll pop that up there, it's a girl. <laughs> if I had the video of when we told the boys and you saw Ezekiel make a beeline for the door, ran into the bathroom and slammed the door and wouldn't come out. I guess he's just used to boys, but uh, pray for me. Pray for me uh, because, oh my gosh, I got three and this one was not planned, at least by us. You know, the Lord knows what he's doing, I guess. Uh, we need a, need another girl in the house because my wife's uh, about to pull her hair out. But yeah, she needed that. I needed that. and uh, I share that so you can be praying for us and uh, it is good news. And uh, there are... You guys out there who maybe you've never been able to have children or you're trying to have children or, you know, whatever the case may be. And uh, I'm praying for you and, and I love you and I just want you to know that. And um, so it makes things like these kind of tough and good at the same time. So uh, as we move on, you can you can take that down now. As we move on, um, I am excited about the word this morning because uh, it, it's, it's a word that I really needed and uh, it's a word that I think that the church needs. The church needs this word. Uh, because I think that we lose sight of who we are and who we're supposed to be. Uh, many times we get so consumed with what everyone else thinks that we should be that we lose sight of who we really should be. Um, The title of today's message in the Upside Down Kingdom series is Fame or Lame. Fame or Lame. And last week it was Richer or Poorer. And if you remember last week, we drew out the whole little diagram drawing thing. And last week was kind of an overview of the Upside Down Kingdom, this whole idea that Jesus Christ and his kingdom is, is, is actually exactly opposite to the world and its kingdom. And what the world continually teaches you about what, it's to, what it is to be a man or what it is to be a woman or what it is to be successful or what it is to be accepted or what value and worth is or identity. The world throws all kinds of ideas at you and it continually promotes this idea of worth, value, uh, identity is found by self. And so you have this, this huge idea, and you go to Barnes & Noble, or you go anywhere like that, and what's the big, one of the biggest sections in the whole store? Self-help. 
self-esteem, self-confidence. I don't have time to get into this whole idea of self-esteem and what I think about self-esteem. But I will tell you that depending on how you define that concept, it's one of the most damaging things that you could possibly get into. What we need is God-esteem. What we need is a God perspective. What we need is to understand who we are in Christ. We don't need self-confidence. We need Christ-confidence. We need to actually understand that there is nothing good that dwells inside of us. We need to actually come to the conclusion that within and within ourselves, we are worthless and void of value. For we are sinners who have betrayed Christ and walked away from God. And sin has come in and has taken that value and it has twisted and manipulated it. And there is nothing that we can do to free self-help is non-existent. That is a term that really finds no definition, not in Christ's word or his kingdom. We need God's help. We need divine intervention to save us from ourselves. So this culture is driving us to look at me, derive meaning from me and what I can make people think about me. And, 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 and at the end of it, it drives and we end in this conclusion that I am everything. When the Bible says that I am nothing and he is everything. So last week was really an overview of this whole idea of the exact opposite nature of the kingdom of God that has broken into the world and shown the world to be upside down and shown the world to be exactly opposed to what it is to be whole and what it is to know God, what it is to have worth and have integrity and what it is to have identity and to know who you are. So what happens is, is that if you don't have a biblical perspective, and if you don't live in the upside down kingdom, according to God's perspective and built on the foundation of God and his word, then you are living upside down according to the word of God. And you can push and you can push and you can push, but actually you're driving yourself farther and farther away from who you are supposed to be. You take the world's advice and you will be left wanting. But if you you take God's advice and you live life through God's word and you go through Christ to get meaning, then you you will suffer in this world and you will live opposite of what this world thinks. So it will cost you here, but you will find that you press into what is truthfully who you were meant to be. And your identity will be found secure in Jesus Christ. So moving from the broad idea of the upside down kingdom and how Jesus Christ's kingdom is inverted uh, in the world. And it looks opposite. That's why the things of God are foolishness to those who are of the world. Because they're spiritually discerned. So even in order to understand what I'm talking about, you need to be looking through Christ's perspective. Because this makes no sense. If I was to preach and talk about this with a Wall Street guy who cared nothing about Christ, he would think I was the stupidest person on the face of the earth. Because this makes no sense according to the world, 
Today's message is going to focus on how we get so much identity, how we get so much of our of our self-worth, of, of so much of our uh, uh, acknowledgement from what the people around us think about us and how that affects us and who we are and what we want to be and the actions that we take to get to where we think we need to be. In other words, why do you do what you do? Why do you dress the way you dress? Why do you go the places you go? Why do you come here? What are the outside forces that press on you and make you into who you are? That's the question. Today's message is fame or lame. What will you be here on earth? Do you strive to be famous? You say, what? Well, see, we tend to think of famous as rock star. But when I say fame, what I mean is, do you do what you do so that everyone around you will think highly of you? That's fame. You're well known in everyone's eyes. Or do you do what you do because you love the king and you're being conformed to the image of his son, which makes you, through the world's eyes, very lame? The high school kids may be able to understand what I'm saying as well as anybody. Because you try being a 15, 14, 15, 16-year-old high school girl or a high school boy who has vowed to stay abstinent before marriage. Is that lame in school? It's lame to those in school. Let's open up the word here and let's dive in. I've got a, a whole bunch of scripture and uh, not, a, not an absolute ton of time to get through it. I want to show you a few things that I've just, just, just fell in on me. Let's, let's pray before we do. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. Uh, I thank you so much for the fact that we don't have to go anywhere else, God. We can find everything that we need in you. And Lord, not only find what we need, but be filled up so full that we can be a vessel through which other people find what they need. I pray, God, that you would help us to see instead of finding or, or trying to find so much time to conform to the ways of the world and appease the opinions of men and women around us, boys and girls around us, that we would only be concerned about one opinion, and that is the, the opinion of Jesus Christ, and that we would be conformed to the image of the Son, and that they would then look to us and they would either despise us or be changed because of what they see in us. Help us to stand out in a world where it's not good to stand out, not this way. I pray that the Spirit would go before any of these words, that it would soften the hearts of the people, and that your word would go in and be effective in every way to shape, in, shape us into who you desire us to be. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, where well, our main text today is Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. And Luke 6, 22 says this. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." That'll be very important, important for so their fathers did to the prophets. 
So what this is telling me is, is that what we need to understand is, is that it's actually a good thing when the world thinks very lowly of us, when the world judges us, when they condemn us for going after Christ. Now, I have known of churches and and people who say they love God to take this to a place that it was never intended to go. As a matter of fact, I have known churches personally that have taken the stance that if people like to come to your church, you're doing things wrong. I don't think that's what this verse was intended to say. You see, because it adds in there that that blessed are you when people hate you, revile you, think poorly of you. Why? On account of the Son of Man. On account of Jesus. So you can't just be you can't just be a jerk and make everybody hate you and be like, oh, I'm holy. No, you something, but it ain't holy. All right? Sometimes when you're called a jerk, it just means. You're a jerk, all right? Now, if you take a stand for Jesus Christ and the word of God and somebody calls you a jerk or they call you uh, uh, like, you're, like you're killing the party or, or you're, you're too uptight, I mean, how many times have we heard this? You take a stand on what's right and they say, oh, you're the one of those fundamental Christians I see judging everybody looking down your nose. No, I just said what the truth was. Ran into this not too long ago myself. Talked to a guy. He was sinning. I lovingly said, we might want to think about this. Oh, you're supposed to be a preacher. <laughs> well, what are preachers supposed to do? Right? They, they talk about sin, right? I'm not saying I'm sinless, but I'm saying we got to have a conversation about sin. So I'm not telling you just to be a jerk, you know, just to be uh, just, just, just absolutely unlikable and therefore you're holy. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, and what the text rather means is that you are to focus all of your energy and all of your desire on being conformed to the image of the son, meaning that you are to go the way that Christ has called you to go, not because of what someone might think about you. As a matter of fact, if they think poorly of you because you've went toward Christ, and because you've chosen Christ over the things of the world, then praise God. You will be rewarded in heaven. That's this whole idea of if you get more here, you generally have less there. If you get less here, you generally have more there. It's this whole idea of the upside down kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be well known here and you want everybody to call out your name here, then don't plan on him calling out your name there. Where do you want to get your reward? Do you want to get it on this side of eternity or do you want to get it on that side of eternity? So why do you do what you do? Is it because of those people and what they might think of you? Why do you buy the clothes that you buy? Why did you buy the car that you bought? Why did we do all of these things? So many times we are so wrapped up in what people think about us that we conform ourselves to this world because we don't want people looking at us like that. The text says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. You know, sometimes if you want to be with Christ, it means you have to be apart from them. How many of you just get tore all out of frame when someone doesn't include you in something? Or when they don't include you because of who you are? How many times? 
There may be some of you in the room right now. How many times have I had conversations with people that say, oh, I would come to the church. Oh, I would come to Christ, but you have no idea what that's going to cost me. I'm going to lose all of my friends. I'm going to lose all of those who are close to me. I may lose my job. Well, praise God. If, if they exclude you, then that means that you have lost here in order to gain more there. We can't understand this perspective because we live here and we feel this immediate taking away of something. We feel this immediate loss. And see, the kingdom, the kingdom is spiritually discerned. And so until you get close to Christ, until you come into personal contact with him, you can't have the right perspective to see what is more and what is less. And so we think here with a human perspective and with an earthly perspective, we think, oh, I am going to lose this much and I'm only going to gain this much. But our mind is the problem. It's our mind that's the problem. This is good. This is good. Okay? Because I want to give you a solution to this. And I wouldn't plan on, I was kind of just trying to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's kind of giving me this word, putting it together. Okay, so look. What I want to do is, at this time, I want, to give you, I want to give you how to deal with this because your perspective is jacked up. We often, often, oftentimes trade God for the world. But we think that we're trading God for the world. Does that make sense to everybody? <laughs> Does that make sense to everybody? We choose what's immediately rewarding for us to the neglect of what is eternally satisfying. Uh, I, 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 once, I think it was Piper I heard say this. He said, <clears throat> the problem is not that our appetite is too big. The problem is not that our desires are too great. The problem is not that our passion is too fiery. The problem is not that we seek pleasure. The problem is that we're too easily pleased. Ecclesiastes would say that, that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. That's the Bible. Isn't that very poetic? That he's placed eternity into the heart of man. Meaning that each one of you have an eternal space in here. And you have this craving. That's why all people, whether they say they're atheists and they're lying, or whether they're believers, or whether they're pagan, or whether they are agnostic, or whatever they are. All people, everywhere, all the time, are continual worshipers, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every minute of every day, you say, well, hold on, I know some atheists, they don't worship. Yes, they do. They just don't worship what you worship. They are continually, whether by charities and, and donations or by drugs and alcohol, women, success, money, cars, driving force, they're throwing things in the hole. They're throwing things in the hole. They're trying their best to fill it up. But all of those things are echoing from the bottom and they're never, not even getting close. They're flow, flowing all the way down. No, no, 
not even a drop in the bucket. How many of you just feel like there's just this empty space? There's just this, there's this hole, and you just, you're caving things in there. You're throwing things in. You can make, how many of you have good jobs? See, we oftentimes sit up here and say, I know there's some of you out there hurting. You've lost your job, and, and you've lost your home, and your children's sick, and on and on and on we go. How many of you out there have a great job? You have a great family. You have more money than you know what to do with. You have everything that you could possibly want. And life is still terrible. How many of you look around and you say, I don't know why. I don't know why. why. I've had people come up to me. Preacher, why do I feel so empty? I have a great job. I have a great wife. I have kids. I have a home. My bills are paid. I don't know why I feel this way. God has placed eternity in the heart of man. But we are continually pursuing after the little things that mean nothing to try to fill this eternal void. Let's look at the prophets. What I want to show you is he says here is that blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their prophets did, for so their fathers did to the prophets. He says, I want you to think about something here. He said, if you are being excluded and if you are losing earthly things because you have traded them for heavenly things, then you are found in good company. Because as the world is reviling you and hating you and making you out to be evil, how many times has the world made the Christian out to be evil? Condemning Christians because they want to stand on the word of God in issues of abortion or homosexuality or whatever it might be, all of these issues. And maybe you have an issue with some of those things. But I tell you, if you take a stand, wait for the world to knock you down. Wait for the world to come against you because foolish, foolish is the the heart of the believer in the eyes of the world. It says when people ridicule you and they blast you and they say how much they hate you and how stupid you are, you are in very good company. Very good company for the prophets experienced the same thing when they spoke for the Lord. Now, I look back, and actually, it was before I even planned on doing this. I look back in several places, and this is what I want to tell you. As hard as you might be pressing for acceptance from the masses, the Bible does not say you will find joy there. As hard and as long and, and, as, and as much as you desire to be accepted by everyone all the time, you can have that, and you will still not have joy. As a matter of fact, it's kind of like money. You run a high risk, a very high risk of falling into sin and idolatry when people do think highly of you. That is why it says be careful not to put a new believer into a a, a leadership position because he may get to thinking too highly of himself. See, when people think much of you, you start to adopt their feeling and think much of yourself. 
Some of us wonder why we're going through trials and we're like, God, why do you let me go through these trials? Why are you continually beating me down in, in my life? Why is it that I'm struggling so much? Why is it that I have this on me? And God's like, I'm taking care of you. God, what do you mean? You mean this debilitating injury is taking care of me? Yeah. You mean that all this pain that I'm going through is taking care of me? Yeah. You mean my wife being a, an evil old woman is taking care of Yeah. You mean my husband being a jerk is... Yeah. What do you mean, God? How could it possibly be? You see, what, what perspective do we have at that moment? Our worldly perspective. Because the world has told us that an ideal situation... It's a perfect little happy marriage with children that never sin and never disobey. To be completely confident all the time. Yes, that's right. You can look up to me. You should dress like me as well. But what we find in the Old Testament through the prophets and in the New Testament, did you know? How many of you know the, the scripture where it says that Paul asked that the Lord would relieve him of this thorn in his flesh, flesh and three times God said, my grace is sufficient. You know what that was? Do you know what the thorn in the flesh was? We don't know exactly what it was, but do you know what the foundation of it was or what the basis of it was? Do you know? The script, the, the text actually says <clears throat> that the Lord sent a harmful spirit to Paul. You ever read that part? We leave that part out. You say, hold on, hold on, hold on. You say, God put that there? Yeah. Why? You know what the text says? It says, because the level of revelation that Paul had received was so great that he sent a harmful spirit to him to keep him humble. Maybe that crazy wife is knocking you down a level because God knows what you need. Maybe that ridiculously out of control little boy named Ezekiel <laughs> is giving you patience. Maybe, now I'm going to get real with you. That was kind of a joke. This one's not. Maybe he's showing you through the rebellion of your children right now just exactly what grace is. You know, I, I, I wept last night. You know why? Not because I was powerfully in the word. And I am a man of God and the spirit had fell in the room. No, you know why? <laughs> Is this a place where it's okay to not be okay? Are you sure? It's because yesterday, I was trying to run around and get things done. I was dealing with some things at work and... I was so fed up with it, and it was Asher's three-year-old birthday party, and we're running around, and Asher is in a potty training stage, and Asher forgot he was in a potty training phase, <laughs> so he dropped the biggest bomb, <laughs> and it was hung and would not come out, but now... I'll tell you why I was crying. It's because in my frustration, cleaning him up, I gave him a pop on the leg because of what he had done. 
Needless to say, last night when I was spending time with the Lord, I was ready to, to puke. Because Asher's three. And he had an accident. But Daddy was frustrated. How many times have I pooped on God? You know how many times God's changed my pathetic diaper? I'm not even kidding. I know that's kind of funny, but God changed my diaper this week. And I'm the preacher of this church. I know some of y'all are stinking right now. I wasn't planning on going down this road, but we need our spiritual diapers changed. I can't even remember where I was. Oh, I know. You see, we get so called up and blinded by the things of this world. We think that we just got to have acceptance from this. But I find it in my... Okay, let's go back to Asher. Titus, now he's eight years old and he's got to have cool shoes and cool whatever and whatever. That's, that's silly, but I find myself doing the same thing. You know, my wife would be like, wear that pink shirt. And I'd be like, but it ain't cool, you know? I actually told her on Easter, I was like, if I wear that pink shirt, people's not going to come back. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> but, you know, it's one thing for my eight-year-old who's kind of going through this. But, Heather, have you noticed how often now Asher's like, he cries when we put pants on him because he says they're not cool. He's three. He's three years old. At three, he's already convinced that the opinions of other people matter so much that it's worth crying and pitching a fit over to get his way. Hey, guys, listen. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Even if you don't know it, you are conditioned. You are conditioned to care more about what the world thinks than what God thinks. What is the remedy? What is the, don't you want to know that? If you don't want to know that, you're crazy. So do you want to know that? What's the remedy? Let's go back and find the remedy in the Old Testament because it speaks of these prophets, and we'll start to draw it to a close here. In, in the Old Testament, uh, you have all these leaders that I found, that the Lord showed me, that they ended up in the same place because God needed to get the people, his leaders, God needed to get the prophets to where he wanted them to be. Because what happens is when you give someone worth, when you give someone value, and if you listen, I told you a little while ago that self-esteem is an evil cousin to pride. Okay, you don't need to think too highly of yourselves. That's what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, without Christ and apart from Christ, you're completely and utterly useless because you have traded the glory of God for the things of the world. Now, I don't mean to leave it there because I can't because the fact of the matter is, is that you have an amazing, amazing amount of worth. The problem is you're trying to find and recognize and redeem your worth out of this world. And it cannot do that. It does not have the cash to cash that check. You can't get your worth, your true worth out of this world. That's why it's never enough. You can never have the 
cool enough clothes. You can never have a nice enough car. You can never be thought well enough of. You can never get to the top. That's why people who are millionaires commit suicide. That's why people who are CEOs of billion dollar companies are found hung in their homes. This is why you cannot fulfill that eternal hole inside. It can't do it. You can't do it. Now you've been conditioned to think that you can. And so you try and try and try and try and try to get your worth out of the world. But the problem is, is that you keep falling down because the world doesn't have worth to give you. The world is trying to get worth from you. And you give and you give and you give and you don't get anything that it promises in return. That's why if you get a nice car, you need a nicer one in a month. That's why when you get a new pair of jeans, they're awesome until you wash them. That's why you can't ever have anything that's good enough. Am I, am I telling the truth? Nothing is ever good enough. Why? It's because you can't fulfill that need on the side. And when Jesus Christ, now, now let me speak to you who are born again believers. When Jesus Christ died on the tree, when he poured out himself, the Bible says that you are not your own children of God who are believers in Christ, who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, who have been bought and paid for by the eternal endless value of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you are, your worth is invaluable. You are eternally valuable. Jesus Christ thought so much of you and loved you so much that he was willing to trade his life for your life. Therefore, your life is worth what his life is worth. Understand that? Do you get that? If I take a bar of gold and I trade it for a stack of money, in that moment, they are equally worth because that's why I traded it. So, children of God, you have all of your worth in Jesus Christ. Those of you who are not children of God, you are in need to be redeemed, given back your value, given back your worth, and until that time, you will not find it. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be redeemed except by the blood of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and gives you worth and value. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, when you are given that value, a lot of the times, and man, I wish I had like another hour because we could go to the laborer in the vineyard and the, and the vineyard owner who brought these people into his garden who brought these people into his vineyard and he put them to work. Now, all of a sudden, they started thinking more highly of themselves the longer they were there working for the master, right? So we as Christians really feel the same way. The longer we're here, the more entitled we become. The longer we're a part of the kingdom, the more we think that we're needed to be here. The more that we do for God, the more we think that he is indebted to us. So we start to get this big head. And so Jesus needs to come along from time to time with pins. And this is kind of the, the picture that I get. He just comes along, the children of God goes, pop, 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 pop in your big head. Because you thought you were something. And Jesus is like, no, I'm still king. I'm still king. We, even though, even though we've been reborn, we've been bought and paid for by the king, we've been born again by the blood of the lamb, we continually start to drift. That's why the book of Hebrews says, be careful lest you drift. Be careful. None of us, you know, usually, I don't, I don't know of hardly any, that are one day Christians, next day atheists. No, what we do is, is that we come to Christ and we just slowly drift away. 
And God has to rein us back in. He has to bring us back to the place. Paul says, you started out just well and fine. You were born again by the power of the Spirit. It wasn't by the works of the law. It wasn't by what you did. It wasn't by what type of uh, show you made or what type of words you had. It was, it was me and my power. The Holy Spirit caused you to be born again. You don't get any credit for that. That's all God. He gave you back his, your worth, right? Through the blood of his Son. He said, now it's being, having begun by the Spirit. Are you going back and being perfected by the law? May it never be. You were born again by the power of the Lamb. Are you now going back and getting your word from the things that you do? No. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. It's not about how wonderful you are. It's about how wonderful he is. Now look, here is the remedy. That was a long way around to get to this place right here. And if the band wants to come on up, they can do that. <laughs> Here's the remedy. Okay, this is so simple, it's going to be hard for you to get. You need Jesus. I don't mean that as some kind of cliche little thing. I'm, I'm telling, I'm serious. I'm serious. You don't need a bigger position in the church. You don't need to, you don't need to make sure you're doing all the right. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You see, when Moses, he met the Lord, he met the angel of the Lord, which we know to be Christ, in the burning bush, and he saw the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord was shining in that place so much that it, that it, that it lit his face up, okay? Now, I want, you to, I want you to go with me here, okay? It lit Moses' face up, and Moses was lit up in the glory of the Lord. And so it, it wasn't by Moses' works. God didn't come saying, now, Moses, I know that you can do this, 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 and this, so I can use you. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, he met Moses, and Moses knew that Moses was worthless. And when he met him there, he met him in a, in a fire, in a burning bush, and he was shining off of Moses' face. And he said, and, and, and Moses was like, well, what is this? He turned to the side to see, he said, what is this? And it was shining. The glory of God was shining right there on him. And the Lord told him, said, take off your feet, for where you are standing is holy ground. You see, he was in the presence of the Lord. That's where we need to be, guys. We need to be in the presence of the Lord. See, you can come to church. That's, that's great. That's great. Don't think this church is sanctifying you. Don't think that this church is glorifying you. Don't think that this church is making something out of you. This is a place where we see the king. And as you sit in the presence of the king, then you get your marching orders. Then you get your worth. Then you get your value, value that stays and doesn't go away. We know this because we watch Moses transition in his life. You see, Moses did all these great and powerful things. After that, he went out. He said, the great I am has sent me. Pharaoh let him go. Pharaoh said, no. Moses said, okay, you're going to see. And all of these great and mighty things happened. And Moses was a powerful man of God. A powerful man of God. Now, let me tell you something right now. Worth and significance and identity. Why are these lights flashing like this? It is, is it the Holy Spirit? The, 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 the Spirit is here. Listen, I hear you, Lord. Okay, see, he's on the road with me. He's getting excited, right? He's getting excited. Listen, you do not get your worth and you do not get your identity even out of the things that you do at church. This church is not about these lights. It's not about this band. It's not about how well I speak. It's not about how charismatic I am or how you're greeted on the way in the door. Why are you here? 
Why are you here? Moses did all of these amazing things. He caused water to come out of a rock. They, they, they walked. They saw with their own eyes. They were led by a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw manna fall out of heaven where they would eat it and eat it. They were satisfied. They saw God do amazing things. Moses slammed his staff down and watched the seas part. They walked through on dry land. even in the most powerful things, even in the greatest displays of power, even in the, it's not about the things. If you trust in these lights, if you trust in how charismatic I may be or may not be, if you trust in how well this band plays, you're going to be left wanting. You know how I know? You know how I know? It's because when Moses got up to the promised land, they started to trust what they were. They started to trust who, what they had done. Even in the things of God, you see, the laborer was in the vineyard and he was working and he was working and he was working. But he was starting to develop a mentality of entitlement. And he had taken his eyes off, off of God. And he sent them into the land and he said, tell me what they say out there. And they say, oh, they're big. Oh, we can't do it. Oh, we can't do it. They're big. Moses remembered because we see that Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land. He didn't even get to go in. And in the end, what did Moses say? We go from Exodus chapter 3 all the way to Exodus 33. And in Exodus chapter 3, he started off so well. He was meeting with, with the angel of the Lord. He got his orders. And, and even then he was scared because he was all alone. He met him when he was all alone. You see, you're going to be all alone. But when it's, it's when you're all alone that you understand that nobody else can hold you up anyway, child of God. That husband can't hold you up. He's going to die one day. That woman's going to die one day. Those people are going to die one day. That car is going to fail one day. It's going to break down. Your house is going to rot. It's going to be taken back to the earth. Those people around you, you see a lot of the times God takes us back to the place where we know that we got to trust in him. So he knocks the legs out from under us. He says, listen, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. The remedy to this is to get along with the Lord because we know that Moses started out right. He was along with the Lord and he was even scared, you see. It's scary to get along. It's scary to get along because all of, all of a sudden, uh, all of these voices come in and, and the reality that we're in, it starts to reveal itself. But right then and there, when this reality of lonely, desperate times, the Lord shows up and he says, I'm your kinsman redeemer. I am the one that is the dread warrior. I am the one that has defeated death, sin, and Satan. This world did not get striped so that you could be healed. I did. You see, he started out so well, but he was scared because Moses said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Who are you going to send with me? 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 He was so worried about who was going to go with him and having all of these numbers. have to be doing something 
You don't always have to be surrounded. The remedy for your loneliness is to slow down. Stop. Just stop. Let's just sit here for a second. anything to do with God is found in this room right here. The Lord said, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Moses did amazing things in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of the people. But Moses finally got it. Because when it was all said and done and very near the end, this is what Moses says in Exodus chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Who's going to go? Who's the one? How many people am I going to have with me? Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. The Lord is 
The Lord is not someone you can manipulate. He's not someone that you can strong arm by all of your so-called works. He's not someone that you can barter with, that if you go to church a certain number of times or if you do this or you do that, he'll be with you. The Lord is the Lord. And he will have mercy on whom he has mercy. And he will have favor on whom he has favor. The best thing for you to do, listen to me. Raise your hand if you're listening to me. I'm pleading with you. The best thing that you can do is stop doing everything and get along with the Lord. Worship at home. Find a place to go that is secluded. Find a a hill to climb. Find a closet to get in. Forget about this world. Forget about their opinions. Forget about all of that and the Lord will show you your worth. And you will finally come to a place to where when God has you, no one can take you. When God speaks in that still small voice like he did to Elijah. You see, Elijah was standing on the mountain and there was a great wind that tore the place apart. There was a, but the Lord wasn't in it. There was a great earthquake that, earthquake that shook the whole place. The, the Lord wasn't in it. There was a fire that could be seen from miles, but the Lord wasn't in it. And then he heard a whisper. He heard a whisper. You know what that tells me? Is that everybody else could see the wind. They could see the earthquake. They could see the fire. But God wasn't concerned about what everybody else saw. He was talking to Elijah. Have you stopped and let the Lord speak to you? Just you and him. Just you and him. As we turn down the lights and as we all stand to our feet, this is what the Lord wants me to end with right here. As Elijah was led up, now Elijah sat down by himself under a broom tree too, so it was when he was alone. I've got some notes if you want to come because Jacob met the Lord when he was alone. Daniel met the Lord when he was alone. Elijah met the Lord when he was alone. Moses met the Lord when he was alone. But Elijah met the Lord when he was alone and in desperate need. Elijah even told the Lord, he said, I'm the only one left. But the Lord said, no, you're not. There's 7,000 right over the hill. See, you're not alone. We just think we are. But while he was alone, the angel of the Lord, Christ met with him, fed him, gave him drink, told him to get up and led him to the Mount of Horeb, which is the mountain of the Lord. And there is where he whispered, Elijah, Elijah. Now listen, I had a whole lot more to do, but it's already well past time. Jesus, don't you? You can can have men.
call your name here. Adam, Lindsay. They can call your name here. Men and women can call your name. Patrick. In great multitudes, they can cry out, Lexus, Gary. But listen. Jesus says that whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father. Have the multitudes cry out your name today or have Jesus cried out then. Jesus Christ died all alone in utter desperation and solitude. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you could be brought into the family. Will he call your name that day? Will he call your name that day? Will you forsake this world for him? that they are they are not here for the music God that they're not here for jokes or funny discourse or anything else God but that they're here for you I pray that we would be consumed with you God and I pray for each individual here that this week that something that the preacher said today some word that was dropped out of heaven God would penetrate their hearts I pray, God, for conviction. I pray for a a spirit that would lead them to a place of utter despair, God, if it's what is needed for us to see you and meet with you, God. I pray that they would see your face this week and they would cry out in glory, God, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God. I pray that you would slay the cultural Christianity in the room, God. I pray that you would slay the the, the mentality that it's all about us, God, that we would realize that it's all about you. I pray, God, that we would pray continuously without ceasing, God, because we need you, God. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Help us to see our utter need for you, Jesus. As you respond, we have an invitation time, and maybe you're battling the whole cultural Christianity thing, you know, and you just come here because it's cool, and you think that I'm funny sometimes, or you think the band is great, or you think the atmosphere is just fun, and I hope all those things are true. I'm not saying it's bad to be a good communicator or have a good band. But I'm pleading with you to examine your heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you talk to him throughout the week? Do you sing to him? Do tears flow freely from time to time because he's so overwhelmed you with his glory? Do you read your Bible? 
consistently? Do you care about the things of God? If you've been coming here just because it's cool and you like the people, but you want to find out what the foundation is, I'll be here. And I'll talk to you about this peace that surpasses all understanding. The front is open if you'd like to respond to what God's been doing in your heart. Come and spend some time with him.